So uh, Rockdale County, Georgia, December of 2022, the Sheriff's Department decided they were going to leverage social media for good. What they did is they posted kind of a top 10 most wanted list. They found the most violent, dangerous criminals in the county, and they put their names, their information up on the Sheriff's Department's Facebook page. And they thought, hey, we're like helping people out. Like, you know, folks are going to see this information. They'll know these criminals. They'll let us know who these criminals are. They'll tell us we'll get criminals off the street. Everybody wins. Little did they know that doing so was going to deeply offend Christopher Spaulding. Now, it's not that Christopher thought this was, you know, like an invasion of privacy or racial profiling on the county's part or, you know, symptomatic of a totalitarian state. Christopher was upset because he didn't make the list. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, he's like, I'm, he, thought, he thought, I'm a bad man. I am no one to be trifled with and certainly not someone to be overlooked. And so Christopher, he was not going to just take this laying down. His, his you know, bruised pride, his wounded ego, it was too great. And so what he did is he jumped onto social media, got on to the county sheriff's Facebook page, and he posted Hey, what about me? Now, this got the sheriff's department, it got their attention, right? And they discovered he had not one but two outstanding warrants for felony probation violation. So they responded. They said, you're correct. You have two warrants. We're on the way. So they went to pay their overdue respects to young Christopher and when they got there, they found him, they arrested him, put him in cuffs, and hauled him off to jail. And not wanting to seem ungrateful, the sheriff's department took to social media again. And they posted their gratitude. They said, we appreciate your assistance and your capture. <laughs> and thus, the name of our series that we're starting today, Life is Hard. It's harder when we're stupid, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, so listen, if we haven't met, my name's Mike. Welcome to Faith Covenant Church. Uh, we are starting a brand new church-wide series today. And by church-wide series, what I mean is um, we're kicking off a series and we're beginning a conversation on Sunday mornings. And then we are continuing that conversation through the week in our small groups. So the, the topic that we talk about on Sundays, we are continuing in our small groups that are happening during weekdays, weeknights here at church in people's homes all over the place. And if you haven't gotten signed up for a small group yet, it is not too late. You can walk right out these doors and to the right after service. Don't leave now. Wait till we're done. Uh, but you walk right out the doors to the right and you have the community station. There will be somebody there to help you get connected to a small group. You can still sign up for one. But we are going to be today and for about the next six weeks after this, we are going to spend time in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And here's why we're going to do this. It's because all on its own, life is hard enough. There are all kinds of things in life that are difficult to navigate, like getting our finances straight, staying in control of our emotions, navigating our sexuality well, not getting into trouble with what we say. Amen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
you know, navigating sin like pride or greed or whatever else, you know? Figuring out substance abuse. Figuring out how to parent your child well. Life is hard enough all on its own. And then from time to time, the person sitting next to you will do something silly, something foolish, even something stupid, and make their lives harder than it needs to be. Let's say, I mean, who, who among us has never made their life harder than it needed to be? Perfect people in a room. Just hands. Thank you very much. Right there. Okay. Let's go see Angela after church, right? So, um, I mean, everybody's done this. We're all guilty at some point in time. Here's the good news. God himself longs to step in to just the practical day-to-day areas of our lives and to help us to speak wisdom into our everyday lives. And I say that because that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. It's about God coming alongside of you and me in very practical, day-to-day kind of ways and speaking wisdom into our world. And so what we're going to do is each subsequent week, we're going to look at a very particular area of our lives an area that's difficult to navigate, an area where people oftentimes will get tripped up. And we're going to look at what kind of wisdom God has for us. What God is saying to us about how not only to avoid the pitfalls, but how to get that area of our life right. How to be successful in that area of our life. But before we can do that, what we need to do today is lay a foundation. A foundational principle that all the wisdom we're going to look at in the weeks to come is going to rest upon. So, let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this, pray for things going on in our world and in our church, and then we'll get started. Father, just as uh, we begin today, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you'd open our minds, our hearts to you and to your truth. Father, we pray for things going on in our world today, for the shootings that took place this week at MSU for families who are mourning the loss of loved ones, for students and faculty who are living with all kinds of anxiety now, for leaders who are trying to figure out what is really the the, the best and the most effective way to address what has taken place. Father, we pray that you would be at work there, Father, at the same time, thank you so much. We want to celebrate with the Hebdas who uh, brought their daughter into the world this week. And for new life, for a healthy mom, for a healthy baby, we pray that you would bless them and just help Matt and uh, Rachel as they adjust and um, now have twice as many kids to deal with. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, the writer will kind of map out for us the, the purpose for the book, the people that they are writing to, and then the, the foundational principle that all the rest of the wisdom of that book rests on. And it's all super helpful, and so we're, we're just going to open right up to the beginning of the book of Proverbs and walk through this. So at the beginning of the book, we read the Proverbs of Solomon. Now, Solomon is not the only author in the book. He is the primary one, though. And Solomon is the son of David, the king of Israel. 
And as Solomon begins, he just jumps right into his purpose for writing this book. He says it's for gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight. Now, true to, to Hebrew writers, Solomon will use three different words that are synonyms. And he's, he's saying to him, hey, I want to help you in your life with wisdom. And in fact, I, I would encourage you to just stop for a minute and just think, all right, where is the area in my life right now where maybe I'm struggling? Where is the area, what are the circumstances in my world right now that are difficult for me to navigate? Solomon's saying, hey, I want to come alongside of you in that area of your life and share with you wisdom. Now, it's important for us to understand, wisdom is different than than education or information. Wisdom is a different thing. And that's important because for a long time, our culture has been pushing the value of information and education. For example, as far back as 1949, President Truman said, education is our first line of defense in the conflict of principle which divides the world today. America's hope, our hope, the hope of the world is in education. Or after him, Lyndon B. Johnson said, the answer to all our nation's problems comes down to a single word, education. Or Andrew Carnegie said, to see whenever we peer into the first tiny springs of our national life, how this true panacea for all the ills of the body politic bubbles forth. Education, education, education. Gang, for a long time now, our culture has touted the value of education. We, we live, the Western democracy that we live in today, today, you have access to more education than you have at any point in human history. And with the advent of the internet, we have access to more information than we've ever needed or ever wanted. Our problem isn't a lack of education or information. And and the thing is, education and information aren't enough. Just stop and think. Truman made this quote nearly 75 years ago. Think about our world today and our world 75 years ago. When it comes to things like substance abuse or financial stability or crime or violence, or shootings, or anxiety, or depression, or suicide. When it comes to things like the the health in our families, well-being in our sexuality, are we better off today with all the advancements in education, with all the access to information that we have now? Are we better off today than we were 75 years ago? See, information and education that's not the problem. It's we lack wisdom. And there's, again, here's the difference between the two. Education gives us the what. Wisdom gives us the how. Solomon is saying to us, hey, I want to come alongside of you. And I don't want to just tell you what life is all about. I want to tell you 
how to take that information, how to take that education, and make good and godly decisions with it. I want to help you not just avoid the pitfalls of life. I want to help you do better than that. In fact, Solomon will say next, he'll say this wisdom that he wants to share with us. He'll say, it is for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Solomon's going, hey, I don't want to just help you avoid the pitfalls in life. I want to help you to be successful in life. I, I want to help you figure out how to have a better life and how to be better at life itself. And that's what wisdom does. So Solomon gives us his purpose, and then he starts talking to the people. He tells us who he's writing to. He says, this is for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. So as Solomon begins, he gives a shout out to the simple to people who have made decisions that make their lives harder. Who are my simple people? Anybody ever done that in life? Be honest, you're in church. All right? I mean, I've been there, right? We've, we've all been there. Psalm like, listen, ride with me. Ride with me. You don't have to learn the hard way. I hope you get this right the first time. And Solomon, he gives a shout out to young people. For folks who have more life ahead of them than they have behind them. So who, who, who thinks they're the young people? <laughs> yeah, see, I'm going to leave that alone, all right? Um, Psalm's like, listen, listen, you, you do what I tell you to, I will make you wise beyond your years. And Solomon gives a shout out to people who, who've figured some things out, who've gotten some things right, who maybe have more years behind them than they have ahead of them. And I won't make you raise your hands if that's you, all right? But Psalm's like, listen, don't be an old know-it-all. Just because you've learned some things along the way doesn't mean you've got it all figured out. There is more to learn still. As Solomon begins, he speaks to young people, old people, to, to, to simple people, to discerning people. And he says, I want to share with you wisdom. And then as Solomon continues, he lays down a foundational principle. That all the wisdom he is going to share is meant to rest upon. Here's what he says next. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is the foundational principle that everything Solomon is going to talk about for the next 30 and a half chapters rests upon. So let's break this down just a piece at a time. Solomon says, the fear of the Lord. Now, Lord here, I got to talk to our people downstairs. This should be in all caps. Because this is, this is the Hebrew word for Yahweh. In your older version, if you've got a King James New American Standard, you'll see, every time you'll see, you see Lord in all caps, it's referring to the word Yahweh. It is the proper name for the God of the Bible, the proper Hebrew name for the God of the Bible. And he is, Christopher Spaulding thought he was a big deal. The Lord truly is a big deal. The Bible tells us that he is from everlasting to everlasting. 
Everything and everyone we know has a beginning and an end. Not so the Lord. Before time itself began, he existed from eternity past. He will exist on into eternity future. Or the Lord. He is the one who looked into a not yet world and spoke it into existence by the power of his word as he said, let there be light. Or the Lord is the one who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. Or the Lord is the one from whom all heaven and earth are going to flee as he sits on the great white throne and all of humanity, past, present, and future, will come and give an accounting of their lives to him. This is the Lord of whom Solomon speaks. He is the author, the creator, and the sustainer of the totality of creation. He is the one to whom we owe our existence. He is the one to whom someday we will give an accounting of our lives to. He is the God of the Bible. And Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, just what does Solomon have in mind when he says fear? It's a word that actually has a range of meaning and a couple of different meanings. It can mean terror and dread. However, that's not what Solomon has in mind here, and it's not how it is used for the most part in the book of Proverbs. So while this word can mean terror and dread, it can also mean reverence, respect, and awe. And when God is the subject of fear in the Old Testament, it almost always means reverence, respect, and awe. For example, think about, we're going to look at a fear of the Lord passage where Moses talks about the fear of the Lord. As we look at this passage, just listen to what Moses associates with this idea of what fear is. Moses says this, he says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? In other words, hey, as God's people, what is it that he's looking for? Moses says, it's really not that difficult. It's that you would fear the Lord your God. And then as Moses continues, he breaks down for them what it looks like to do that. He says, to walk in obedience to him. In other words, let the manner of your life reflect how God designed life to be lived. So first of all, Moses associates fear with this idea of obedience. And then he says to love him. Don't miss this. See, we oftentimes think that, that fear and love are mutually exclusive. Fear, as it's being used here, is not mutually exclusive to love. Moses connects these two ideas. So fear of the Lord is obedience, it is love, and then it is to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. See, the fear of the Lord is this sense of awe and respect and reverence for who God is and for who we are in relationship to him. And it leads us to this place where our natural response is obedience and love and serving him. And because God is who he is, when we live this way, it is for our own good. This is the fear of the Lord. 
It's not about terror and dread. It's this sense of awe and respect and fear. As I see who God is and who I am in relationship to him. And then Solomon tells us that the fear of the Lord, that it is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, this is where wisdom starts. Wisdom starts at this place where I'm recognizing this is who God is and this is who I am. Another way to put it would be this. The foundation to wisdom is found in acknowledging who God is and who we are in relationship to him. The foundation, the starting point, the beginning point for all the wisdom we're going to talk about in the weeks to come, it rests on the idea he is God. This is who he is. And in light of that truth, this is who I am. Now this idea of this is where the fear of the Lord begins. There's another, there's a whole bunch of fear of the Lord passages in the the book of Proverbs. There's another one that really does a great job of fleshing out who God is and who we are in relationship to him. So as long as we're on the topic, let's, let's look at this other fear of the Lord passage. It begins this way. The writer says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. Now transgression here, this is just another word for sin. So the writer is saying, hey, anybody who hides, who minimizes, who denies the fact that they have done things that God has told them not to do, that person is not going to succeed in life. However, the person who will confess, the person who will agree with God about their guilt, and the person who will forsake them, them being their transgressions, the person who will turn away from their junk and instead turn towards God. You know what the Bible calls that? Repentance. The person The person who's going to try and conceal this stuff, they're not going to succeed. The person who will agree with God, who will repent, they will obtain mercy. Now mercy, biblically speaking, is when I don't get what I deserve. I've done the wrong thing. God is perfectly justified in thumping me for it, and I don't get thumped. That is mercy. So the writer is saying, hey, Whoever conceals their transgression is not going to prosper. Whoever will confess and forsake them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord, it's about realizing God is God. God and God alone has the right to determine how life should be lived. And in light of that, I realize I haven't lived that way. And so rather than try and hide that, deny that, minimize that, I'm going to agree with God. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to turn towards him. And in doing so, I am going to find blessing and mercy. And this this understanding of who God is and who I am in relationship to him, again, this should create the sense of reverence and respect and awe because of who he is and what he has done and what a relationship with him can do for me. And so as we continue through the rest of the series, each week what we're going to do is we're going to go, okay, based on this foundation, let's look at a piece of wisdom, a specific piece of wisdom for our lives. Each week we're going to see how that wisdom can keep us from making our lives harder than they need to be. Each week we're going to see how that wisdom 
can help us be better at life and have better lives. Each week we're going to see why what science is discovering and observing about life, why it works the way that it does. See, for a while now, and more recently, there have been a number of studies that have come out that make this connection. This connection between recognizing who God is and who we are in relationship to Him and being better at life. And while the scientists are having a hard time connecting all the dots between the two, they cannot deny that there's a connection and the results that come with it. For example, Harold G. Cohen, professor of Duke University, he did extensive research on the connection between mental health, emotional well-being, and a person's relationship to God. And what he found is that the more serious, is a, person, the more serious a person is about this is who God is, and this is who I am in relationship to him, the more resilient they were, the more healthy they were emotionally, the more satisfied they were with their lives, the greater levels of well-being and optimism and hope they enjoyed in life. Or, Harvard School of Public Health, they did an extensive study on suicide in America. They found that churchgoers, people went to church just once a week, were five times less likely to struggle with suicidal ideation or to go that way when things got difficult. Or, you have the New York Times. They published a study that concluded that regular churchgoers are one-third less likely to die from any cause, but especially from heart disease and cancer. Colorado State University published a study that, that indicated that regular churchgoers, they have a life expectancy seven years greater than those who don't. So forget about diet and exercise. Just come to church, right? There you go, right? Yeah, you can put extra in the plate for that, right? You know, what about teenagers, right? All right, so here you go. Back to the Harvard School of Public Health. They found that teens who regularly attend religious services are 12% less likely to be depressed, 33% less likely to use drugs, and 18% more likely to be happy. And if you're sitting here in person or you're watching online, you're like, my kid comes to church and they're still a monster. Think how bad they'd be if they didn't, right? Just saying. Here's the deal. You want a better life. You want to be better at life. Proverbs is saying, hey, wisdom can help you get there. But this wisdom, it rests on the foundation of acknowledging this is who God is and this is who I am in relationship to Him. The fear of the Lord, this is the beginning of wisdom. This is where wisdom starts. And here's why it works that way. See, each week, come, we're going to look at a different area of your life and we're going to talk about wisdom for that area of your life. And you could, you, could, you could say, forget this whole fear of the Lord thing. And you could apply that wisdom to your life, and it would make your life better. But when you don't have this foundation, wisdom will never take you as far as you want to go or as far as it was meant to. And here's why. When this is the foundation, God himself steps into that difficult area of my life and he helps me navigate it. 
when I am living in right relationship with God, where I recognize, I acknowledge, this is who he is, and this is who I am in relationship to him. God steps into that difficult-to-navigate area of my life, and I'm no longer doing this in my power alone. I'm doing this with God. And that takes wisdom to a whole nother level. To a whole nother level. So, we want to invite you. Join us for the weeks to come. Each week, we're going to look at a different area of life and just go, hey, what does God have to say about wisdom here? We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be silly. We're going to be challenged. If you're familiar with Proverbs, Proverbs doesn't pull any punches. It comes after us. And my hope is that each week we're going to see how practical, how relevant, and how true wisdom is for the everyday areas of our lives. And my hope, my hope is that as we see that, we'll come to realize, even if we don't have the foundation in place, what Proverbs is telling us about who God is, and who we are in relationship to him, it is just as practical and just as relevant and just as true. Would you stand with me, please? So we wrap things up today. We're going to do so in worship. But before we do, we want to pray. And if you're at a place where you know you need to put the foundation in place, whether you're in the room today, whether you're watching online today, if you're ready to do that, I want to invite you to pray with me and to do just that. Rather, rather than try and conceal our transgressions, we're just going to create space where we can come to God in prayer. We can, we can agree with Him that our lives are broken. Where we can turn to Him and where we can find mercy. And if you're going, how, how in the world does God offer mercy like that? Again, another great fear of the Lord passage that explains it. It says this. It says, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. See, God can offer us mercy because our sin was atoned for through love and faithfulness. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, for God made Christ who never sinned, there is your faithfulness. Jesus never sinned. God made Christ who never sinned an offering for our sin. Jesus laid down his life in our place. That's love. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Today you're ready to lay that foundation. I want to invite you to pray with me because everything else we're going to say through the rest of the series is going to make a whole lot more sense if that principle's in place. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for your wisdom that you want to step into our world and help us navigate life well. Father, for some of us today, we need to lay this foundational principle we just need to grab hold of this idea of the fear of the Lord. And so we want to come to you today not denying our brokenness and sin. We want to come confessing that you and you alone are God. You and you alone have the right to determine how life should be lived. And Father, we haven't gotten it right. For, 
forgive us, please, because of the faithfulness and love of Jesus. We put our hope, our faith, our trust in him, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. We surrender all of who we are to him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.